Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. And welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we're going to be picking up where we left off from last week's episode. Now, you may remember last week we sort of gave an overview of the various streams of the Reformed uh, faith, the Reformed churches. uh, And we did mostly what I would consider sort of a geographical explanation where uh, we, we talk about the major streams and where they originate from. Uh, whether that's on the continent of Europe or from somewhere in the UK. Uh, uh, Typically, that would include mostly just Scotland and England, but also it could include Ireland. There were Presbyterians in Ireland. Mostly there were Anglicans in Ireland who were of the Reformed stripe. Uh, Shout out to James Usher, the old (laughs) Archbishop of Ireland, uh, who was a very, very strong Calvinist. Uh, But today we're going to look more at the... Uh, sort of theological streams. Uh, we, we would have done a little bit of this last week. It would have sort of uh, come out of what we said a little bit, but we want to highlight uh, more of the theological streams and show a little bit of the diversity of approaches to, uh, to the Christian life and to the Word of God and to our society in general. Uh, the Reformed faith, as I sort of made my way into it, I really thought at first that it was extremely monolithic. Hmm. Anybody who went by the moniker Reformed was basically the same as anybody else who had (laughs) that same moniker for themselves. And I've learned over the years that that's not quite right. Now, there, there are big discussions in the academic world when it, about, about what it means to be reformed, mm-hmm. and those discussions often uh, revolve around uh, the breadth or the lack of breadth of our tradition. Uh, and so one, one example of this could be Anglicanism. Do we consider Anglicanism reformed? Well, that's, that is a complicated question. Uh, that we really don't have the time to go into uh, today. But in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. But that just goes, as a good example, it, it goes to show mm-hmm. uh, how it's difficult to talk about the Reformed tradition. Uh, that can mean different things to different people. I think that there is a core, and at our best, we should be try- trying to uh, listen to the whole of the Reformed tradition and listen to the best of it as well. So that's kind of a roundabout way to say today we want to jump into more of the theological uh, opinions or streams, the different uh, sort of wings of the Reformed tradition, and explore it a little bit so that we can sort of have a better map in our minds. And again, like we said last week, when we're looking for a church to visit, if we're out on vacation or if we're considering joining a a new church uh, somewhere, that you can sort of have this all in your mind as you go through that process. Yeah, after we uh, hit the uh, stop button on the record last week, we were realizing we really described denominations um, and some of the differences among denominations, but also quickly realized within denominations there's a lot of diversity. Hmm. Um, Of course, that varies based on the denomination that you're talking about. Generally, the more conservative the mm-hmm. theologically conservative the denomination is, I would say the less 
diversity there will be in in some regards hmm. um and uh and so we were realizing within say the christian reformed church like our denomination there are going to be churches that seem very different than one another that's hmm. even in our own classes and so maybe for those who aren't christian reformed who are listening to the podcast a classis is a regional gathering of churches and um, that's not just so that we can get to know our neighbors that's actually a, a ecclesiastical body that has real authority over yeah. our congregation um, um, and so that for us is about 30 churches from north of Sacramento all the way down to Bakersfield which is the whole valley basically the Central Valley of California plus the Bay Area churches and so again about 30 churches and um, within that group of 30 we, we would see some diversity and not just ethnic diversity as there is um, a good amount of that in our classes, which is great. But we're going to see uh, churches with different emphases. I think that's maybe a word that I would want people to take away from this episode is an emphasis on certain um, things like, for example, doctrine or um, Christian living and piety or transformation that you would hear coming through a lot more in some churches and that you would rarely hear about in other churches. And so um, with Within that, we can say that us, our church as a Christian Reformed church, is actually going to be a lot more like some PCA churches, Presbyterian mm-hmm. Church in America, or some evangel- Evangelical Covenant Order churches, and maybe even a lot more like some Anglican churches theologically mm-hmm. than we are even with some other Christian Reformed churches. Yeah, and so that's a very true point. That, that would sound strange to people, especially older people, for whom denominations were far more monolithic 40 yeah. or 50 years ago, you could basically go to a CRC and expect mm. to know what it would be like before you even walked in the door. Um, that has changed really yeah. since the 90s especially. Yeah. And so we want to help people understand um, what what to look for, just as Zach said, in if you are on vacation, if you're looking to join a church, if you're thinking about my my church is just getting off track a little bit and it's it's a reformed church and yet it seems like we're emphasizing certain things at the expense of others um we want to give some vocabulary to helping name why that could be happening yeah that's a great way of putting it giving it vocabulary a lot of this conversation reminds me of a book by tim keller that i read in my missions and evangelism class back in seminary Uh, called Center Church. And one of the things that he talks about in that book uh, was that we may all have a shared doctrinal understanding, Mm -hmm. whereas in the the CRC we have the three forms of unity. Uh, And so we may have those things on paper, but he talks about how for many churches there's a difference in our philosophy of ministry. That's what he calls it. Uh, We could call it many things, but it's our approach, our Mm -hmm. understanding of what a church should be uh, not just theologically, but how that church should feel. What mm-hmm. What is the, the ethos of a church when you come into it? Uh, should a church be casual or formal or reverent? Should people be serious or happy? Or uh, how, how should a Christian body of people live their lives mm-hmm. together? Mm-hmm. Should we have a lot of Bible studies or a lot of small yeah. groups or, or a lot, we, you know? Like, yeah, do yeah. a lot of like soup kitchen work, exactly. yep. those kinds of things. Yep. Uh, are, are 
kind of what we're getting at here in this episode. And so I, I guess we'll, we can just sort of kick it off. We've done a lot of intro here. <laughs> we can kick it off by giving maybe one of the more common taxonomies or uh, categorizations of these different streams uh, that I've heard in the CRC. Uh, I was just talking with Mark about this the other day, and I, I can't remember the first time I heard this uh, for sure. I think, though, it was when I had joined. I'd finally joined the CRC. Uh, and so these three groups, which we might say are the streams theologically in the CRC, uh, would be the doctrinalists, the pietists, and the transformationalists. So a quick sort of overview. The doctrinalists would be those in, in the Reformed world who are very doctrinaire, very committed to, to doctrine, to the historical teachings of the Reformed tradition. These might be the kinds of people who are constantly quoting from confessions. We love the confessions, mm. so I, I, I like this group, I guess. <laughs> Maybe this is my group, I don't know. Uh, I hope that there's really no groups, though, and that's something <laughs> we'll get into. Yeah. Uh, so the doctrinally minded uh, stream is just really committed to the teaching, to the substance of our faith, and what is being taught from pulpits, and what pe- people are learning uh, in the pew. The pietists would be those in the Reformed tradition who uh, have a heavy emphasis on spirituality, on things like prayer and Bible study, uh, things like maybe you could even throw in here communion, or you could say going to church. Also mm-hmm. included in this would be uh, sort of a, a, a life walk, a uh, real heavy emphasis on your ethics, on who you are as a person, uh, living, living a life that is pleasing and holy to the Lord. And then finally, the transformationalists would be those in the Reformed world who have a heavy emphasis placed on cultural transformation. Transformationalist here doesn't so much mean personal transformation as it does uh, outward transformation like of the world, of society, of, of the systems around us, uh, of the, of maybe even our government or our nation mm-hmm. uh, or our, our communities, you could think more locally. And so these three streams exist, and interestingly, they exist not only in the Reformed world, they exist basically in all Christian yeah. groups, all, all bodies within the body of Christ. Yeah, Roman Catholics would have the same Correct. kind of groupings, I would guess. Yeah. Lutherans certainly do. Yeah, Baptists certainly do. Baptists, yeah. yeah. You could think of how these different streams are, are present in your own body or church. Uh, I'm sure you could probably come up with some ways. And so... Yeah, Mark, what do you what do we think about mm. these three streams as I've sort of explained them? Uh, do we do we do we think that they track? Is that true? Do we do we do we see this? Um and if so, should we aspire to be one or the other or mm. what w- what would you say there? Yeah, I, the first question I guess we should ask is what was Jesus? <laughs> so, um wow. good question. So, or who does God's word call us to be? And when I heard this this three stream categorization, um, I basically heard it in the context of every person and every church is called to have pure doctrine, mm-hmm. a pure life, and to make a difference in the world. 
um, yeah. to see transformation happen. And so we could, instead of thinking as each person fitting in one and not the other two, yeah. maybe we could think That's of each point. person as being a triangle or at each congregation as being a triangle. And maybe one side of the triangle is much shorter because it gets less emphasis. Mm-hmm. And in some congregations or for some people, one of those sides would be extremely long, um, sometimes at the expense yeah. of the length of the other sides of the triangle. And so, for example, if people are less geographically inclined, or ge- geometrically inclined, uh, <laughs> um, for example, you could think of your typical American megachurch. And so hmm. I've been to quite a few megachurches, I would say, and, and whenever people share sermons or when something comes up on my YouTube feed or my Facebook feed, it's generally from a megachurch pastor that has preached something somebody wants to share that I know. And and we could think of a megachurch as being almost zero doctrine. I mean, there's always some doctrine at work underneath oh, yeah. a, a sermon or how a worship service happens, but very, very little attention paid to the historic creeds and confessions and mm-hmm. um you know uh, i'll always encourage people to find a church where the pastor refers to people who did not live in this century um <laughs> because then you're grounding your belief and not just basically what the pastor thinks or like yeah. his hot take from this yeah. week um but there's there's a grounding to it that's actually makes the sort of the word of god come alive more in my view in a lot of ways but then on that at that same church you'll have very strong transformationalism you'll be people will be encouraged to come and get your marriage fixed and mm-hmm. uh, this church is going to be about um, the big food bank that we run or yeah. the big ministry that we We're do. We're picking up trash every Saturday exactly. from the streets of our downtown and district. And they're going to spearhead some really awesome things that Christ calls us to do. Yeah, and those are not bad things. No, I don't, I don't ab- think absolutely. we're poo-pooing any of this. Right, and and so you can think of the the doctrinal side of the triangle being very short and yeah. the piety, so like you need to do good things because you're part of this church or you need to pray and read yeah. your Bible, and then the transformationalist side being very long too. And um, the the theologians that I am very drawn to are Reformed theologians who will often keep these three sides of the triangle very nicely in order or very hmm. very close to equal in what I can tell. So obviously Scripture is the only document that would do that perfectly. Yeah. But um, I, I think of somebody like Jonathan Edwards. And hmm. um, so, like, would somebody consider Jonathan Edwards to be only a doctrinalist? Well, he was one of the greatest theologians of the last 300 years, um, so maybe they would. Hmm. But who would ever call J- Jonathan Edwards a doctrinalist at the expense of a transformationalist because there was a revival at his church and it changed the yeah. whole town, and um, even all of New England was impacted by Jonathan Edwards' preaching and his yeah. church leadership in Northampton. And then maybe the most... Um, uh, serious accusation against Edwards would be that he would be too pietistic because mm-hmm. he would be in the Puritan stream, which was yeah. very focused on ethics and personal piety. And so yeah. uh, with with all three of those um, being at the core of his ministry, I think that he would mm-hmm. be an example of somebody that I would aspire to be more like um, with great doctrine, very thoughtful teaching from the Word of God that makes a difference in the world and in the people's lives who are coming to church, 
and calls people into holiness. And so maybe that example could help people understand what we're getting at. Yeah, that, that is. it's interesting you bring that up because as we've been talking about these, one thought that comes to mind, which I think might be helpful for those who are listening, is maybe mapping out sort of famous Reformed mm-hmm. preachers or theologians uh, and sort of saying, okay, if we were to take the caricature of this person, on which side of the triangle do they sort of fall mm-hmm. a little bit more on? Um, and, I, and I would say with, with Edwards, the caricature of Edwards, he would be on the pietist yeah. side. He would be strongly seen as a pietist uh, precisely because of his uh, revival uh, focus. Uh, although, of course, he was, I think, wisely cautious about false revivals, mm, yeah. uh, which maybe that could be another future episode, the whole Asbury revival going on right sure, now. Sure, yeah. Uh, That's why he wrote the whole Religious Affections yeah. was a response to false revival. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so where would we say, I'll just throw out some names and I'll see where you, you place them, uh, Spurgeon. Yeah, definitely on the more, more on the piety side, follow Jesus, give your, he, he was big on the, the call to Christ, you know. The, Very doctrinal. Right. Um, um, although I would say a little bit lower on the doctrinal side in that. Um, he did downplay it a little bit, I think quite explicitly. Although I'm, I'm no Spurgeon yeah. scholar, but it does seem like he he was very low church. Yeah, he was very low church yeah. and very all about Jesus. Yeah, which is a sort of Pietistic uh, impulse, I guess. Okay, Bavink. Yeah, he would. Uh, boy, that's a good <laughs> doctrinalist. Of uh, I, I think. Um, Interesting. Uh, well, Bavink. It, it is a tough one. Bavink talks a lot about how the word being so central to everything, and I think that that is of a more doctrinalist stream yeah. where. Um, the the preaching moment he'll yeah. write about in the course of the yeah. week is the Christian's center of of their week and of how mm. they need to be growing in Christ is the preached word of God. Mm. Um, that now he he he's of course excellent in balancing that with the the personal call to piety mm. and to to yeah. go into the world. I mean, he was engaged with what was happening in the world around him very profoundly and so um, yeah that the caricature of somebody like a great theologian in the in the vein of Herman Bovink would say oh it's just he's a doctrinalist but mm-hmm. I would say the reason that he would be still thought of today is that he didn't become only a doctrinalist yeah. but but there was a well-rounded nature to his ministry I, I, I actually would have placed him in the transformationalist oh, side, okay. just being a part of the Kuyperian stream, sure, being sure. Kuyper's right-hand man. Kuyper is sort of the patron saint, we might say, of the, of the transformationalists. Whether or not that charge is is totally accurate, I guess, is up for debate, but I think it's—I would say that he is, myself. Uh, although Kuyper— He's not. He wasn't ever pigeonholing himself as just somebody who wanted to see tr- the society change. Uh, yes, he was a politician as well, and so he cared very much about the government and the state of the Netherlands, uh, a spiritual state and the sociological state of it. But uh, he he was still like he wasn't just all on one side. His chips aren't weren't all in one corner. Uh, let's say. Calvin, where would we place Calvin? I'll do, I'll do two yeah. more, <laughs> Calvin, and I'll pick, I'll pick somebody else. Where do you think Calvin would fall, Mark? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, his so the um, the institutes have been called a uh, a theology for piety's sake, almost like um, and so the Pietist 
that the Kelvin scholar would probably suggest him as a pietist. Um, yeah. Like where, where Thomas Aquinas's great work was the Summa Theologica. Um, I've heard Calvin referred to as the the Summa Pietatis. It, it, it's almost <laughs> like what what yeah. matters is your life and mm-hmm. how you are born again in Christ. How how the Spirit mm-hmm. does a, a work of regeneration in you to make you desire the things of God when you yeah. utterly could not otherwise. And yeah. so, um, obviously, again, I think he'd be a really nice mix of the three, doctrine, yeah. piety, He's, and he transformation. quite hard in my mind um, to categorize. But yeah, the, the constant call, even in his theological work, to a personal engagement mm-hmm. with God would probably put him in the piety camp. Maybe. Yeah. Can you, can you think of any that come to mind that would be almost... You know, almost exclusively in any one of these categories, uh, it would. You know, I would say the most devoted followers of these people often make it into sort of a hyper Calvinism, a hyper Kuyperianism, and yeah, that's a great point. And, and they sort of take the um, the emphasis that somebody like Kuiper or Calvin would give, and they just like they almost miss the the balance of yeah. the doctrine or the piety for somebody like Kuiper. And it's just like full on every inch square inch belongs to God, yeah, like transformation good. The world is so good. with no theology. Um, yeah. And I'm that, so I'm concerned by that. I would say uh, hmm. it's, it's often the followers that the second, third, fourth generation yeah. that come after these thinkers. So even for Bavink, there would be quite a few doctrinalists yeah. who would say Bavink's my guy, but if, if they're not really reading what he has written and they have a caricature in their mind of who Bavink was, then yeah. they would just become a doctrinalist because, yeah. wow, look at this great doctrine. It's so exciting without going where Bavink would want you to go with it, which is into a life of piety and of making a difference in the world. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, one thing we could think about as we discuss this sort of triad would be to... I don't know, in some way work in how progressivism and conservatism yeah. sort of are woven into this into this triad. Yeah. Now I, I I think it's hard to do this because you can have somebody who's very, very strongly doctrinalist, uh, who is totally progressive. Yeah. Or and you can have somebody who's really strongly a doctrinist who's very conservative or piety especially and piety, yeah. transformationalism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, a few weeks ago we had Paul Vanderclay on, or we we were on his show. I don't know which <laughs> Vice way versa, it went. Yeah, um, <laughs> but we we mentioned or I mentioned how Kuyperianism is kind of like one of the hot button issues in the CRC right now because there's different interpretations of Kuiper's legacy. Kuiper, it could be argued, and as I pointed out there can be seen as a very conservative transformationalist. Other people will read Kuiper as a very progressive transformationalist. And so it's interesting to see how these uh, sort of are woven together, how you you can be, uh, you can be all over the progressive conservative spectrum and still be on this sort of triad. Yeah. And as we start to think about the Christian Reformed Church, um, I, I wonder where do you think, from your experience, say at Synod last year, um, did you see more doctrinalists, more pietists, or more transformationalists, do you think, in some of the comments you heard? 
how is the Christian Reformed Church um, being mm. governed, you know, by which which principles or, or emphases could you see at work? Oh man, that is that is really tough. I mean, it was a bit again, of a battle among these people, wasn't it? Yeah, and a lot of times you're seeing somebody who really exhibits two of them and not the other. Uh, that is a tough question. I'm kind of yeah. Maybe we shouldn't just walk it. around judging everyone by this. Uh, <laughs> but but I think it's it's helpful. I would say I straw, saw a strong strong dose of doctrinalists versus transformationalists. Uh, yeah, that would be my yeah, sure. quickest yeah. way of of explaining it. Although I think a lot of the doctrinalists in the CRC, this is just my perspective at least, doctrinalism and pietism are are typically paired and transformationalists are usually really almost exclusively they, they sort of they have a very long part mm-hmm. of the triangle mm-hmm. on that side uh, they, they're not strongly emphasizing doctrine or piety uh, now let's not to say that they're not doctrinal at all uh, some of the, the more progressive transformationalists in the crc are extremely doctrinal mm-hmm. in the sense of being very intellectually uh, just thoughtful and rigorous in yep. their approach. You might even say creative. Well-read. Uh, Well-read. Yep. Uh, they are articulate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in those ways, they're extremely doctrinal. Uh, and you could even say in some sense, this is to stretch the word, some sense they're very biblical. Uh, and they have, I would say, creative uh, interpretations. <laughs> but they are at least trying to to be very academic and in that sense i think they fall under the sort of doctrinalist uh, wing but when it comes down to it it's transformationalists and a lot of the transformationalism in the crc especially in on the progressive side seems to me to want to be affirming not just of homosexuality but just affirming of people in general mm. uh your impulses are good. Who you are deep down is who you should be. And that's not just a CRC phenomenon. That mm-hmm. is a global Christianity phenomenon, at least in the Western part of the world. Uh, so that I guess that's a sort of outgrowth of the moralistic therapeutic deism uh, that we've seen over the past several decades now. Yeah. So it, transformationalism it, isn't, isn't so much transform the culture as it is transform the church mm-hmm. to catch up uh, <laughs> and to get on board and to stop being so harmful. That's the big word, mm. harm. Yeah. At, maybe we can put it this way, that a doctrine for the transformationalist almost serves the purpose of transformation. It, it's it's the, the handmaiden to the, the transformation that we want to see. And so uh, mm. here's, here's something that you'll often see in that yeah. camp. Um, somebody saying, what biblical evidence is there for an open and affirming position? And so that that's the wrong way to do theology. Bad starting point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, but uh, I just saw an example of this, actually. I just read an article by somebody who basically, um, it was an article about uh, uh, the new... Um, what chat bot thing that people oh, go yeah, the in chat they, GPT. the chat yeah exactly and so the question was mm-hmm. tell me an, an an open and affirming argument with biblical evidence <laughs> and and so there there's, there's an interesting um, herme- hermeneutic at work there it's basically mm-hmm. saying here's a position we want to get to uh, because 
we, we regard the church as being a change agent in the world, and we need to connect with people who are outside the church, and so how can doctrine get me there? Um, it, maybe they're not so crude, maybe, in thinking it, uh, of it that way, and I guess it's good that they would want to use doctrine uh, to yeah. support, use some biblical evidence for uh, a decision-making process, but I think that the, the opposite could happen for the doctrinalists, that it's almost as though we just want to transform the world so they'll think rightly. Um, yeah. And maybe less motivation to love the, love our neighbor, to love the person who hates us, to love our enemy, and it's, it's almost using transformation as a means to the end of more people agreeing with us or more, more people thinking just the right way. So I think you could have in those streams a lot of confusion about the purpose of something like doctrine or holy living or um, transformation. Um, I, I've seen that a lot, unfortunately, where, where, where the telos or the goal becomes doctrine, everything sort of has to serve that instead of the telos or goal is the glory of God, um, yeah. the, the purity of the church, um, and uh, loving our neighbors and so forth, hmm. um, then I, then doctrine can support that, holy living can support that, transformation can support that. But when it becomes a kind of hmm. other Handmade. goal, then yeah. that's where everything starts to fall apart. Yeah, that is a really interesting observation. It's it's seen as a means to, yeah. to an end, and... and Th- theology is a means to an end. That that is, yeah. I agree with them there. Yeah, yeah. It's, but what is what is the most theological telos? The most biblically accurate theological telos for theology? Well, it is doxology. Yeah. It is to know and love and worship the Lord. Q and A one of the Westminster, right? To yeah. Glorify God and enjoy Him. Right, yeah. and that often does get lost, and so we use theology as a means to whatever end we see fit, to whatever telos that we have. What's interesting to me in the transformationalists of the sort of progressive stripe is that it seems, as I said, they want mainly to transform the church because for them, evangelism is not so much a proclamation as it is a lived out witness of whatever we define in the current day as good. Uh, and so if the church is looks good in the eyes of the world, uh, it will be attract, attractive to, to people who are uh, in our world. And so if we can dress Jesus up in a certain way, by the way we live in the church, uh, then we, we will attract people, and the Jesus movement, as it's called, will continue, and it will be great, and the church will flourish. Hmm. What's interesting in all of this is that the transformation then is focused on the church. We must get the church to act properly, and th- there's there's no call to repentance for the world. The call to repentance mm-hmm. is aimed at the church. And I think this is actually motivated by the same sort of fears that have driven broad evangelicalism's commitment to the rock concerts and the, the mm. cool T-shirts and mm-hmm. the pastors wearing the mega like the cool shoes skinny that, jeans that, and all yeah, that. The, the, the skinny <laughs> jeans and the thousand dollar nikes uh because we want to be seen as cool or hip or as uh, as good as as 
environmentally conscious or as neighbor conscious or immigration conscious conscious mm-hmm. and we want people to think that we're good and so well if the definite the working definition of good in our world is what the the world defines as good well then we want to we should get the church the church to try to be that kind of good so we can show just how good jesus is but I think that gets super convoluted because the church begins to act very differently than how Jesus acted. And if people begin to come into the church because they've been won through that technique, and then they really Mm -hmm. study the Bible, not much of the Bible will sit well with Mm. them Mm -hmm. if they were told that Jesus was a radical activist for the cause of mankind and for freedom and for releasing people from... Uh, slavery and racism and so on and so forth. And they would uh, even go so far as to say he was not a doctrinalist. He was not a pietist. He, he was, was a, just about the transformation. He was an activist, yeah, basically. Yeah. He was a radical. Uh, he was a revolutionary, as he's often portrayed. And in some ways, I would agree with, with a lot of that. Jesus, was he was he a radical? In some ways, yes. Was he a revolutionary? <laughs> yes, in some ways he was. I actually will be kind of mentioning this a little bit in my sermon this coming Sunday evening uh, from Acts chapter 17, where the Christians in Thessalonica are blamed as being Mm. uh, the ones who are turning the world upside down, yet it's the Jews who are angry with them who are going out and and rousing all the rabble and trying to get them to come (laughs) and start a sort of a riot, and then they're going to blame it on the Christians. Mm. So (laughs) I make the point that that's pretty ironic uh, that that they're doing it like that. And in uh, a way, it is happening spiritually, yeah. but uh, there's there's the usage there of saying that Jesus endorses rebellious behavior often, right. um, yeah. Uh, yeah. which of course no one would ever suggest it. Um, mm. in, in in the sense of rebellious for its own sake, um, obviously he yeah. was rebellious against what was evil, as Christians should be. But right. he's he's sort of used as. Um, the baptizer of all yeah. cultural engagement, mm-hmm. um, almost for its own sake. Yeah, and so this is where I think the criticism uh, can be made against many progressive Christians in the CRC and outside of the CRC. That it's often claimed that Republican, the, the Republican Party, has baptized Christ in their own image, basically. Yeah, and yeah. I think the reverse can be said if we're not careful uh, of the of the other side of of the progressive Jesus being baptized. So Jesus then is seen as the poster child for supporting all feminism, all progressive values and, and things that they see as virtues. Yeah. And so that, (laughs) that is an interesting, I guess, uh, side track that we've gone down now. No, a little rabbit hole from our explanation of the reform stream, but I think it all is very, very pertinent. Well, even, I even bring up that feminism issue and it, so that's a maybe a, a big example of this transformational wing where, um, okay, somebody sees that Jesus gives dignity and uh, teaches Mary who's sitting at his feet, which would have been a countercultural thing to do in that day because women weren't yeah. really encouraged to have a to sit under the teaching of a rabbi, weren't allowed to do that. Yeah. And so it was a countercultural thing for Mary to be considered a follower of Jesus sitting at his feet. Um, and then, you know, telling Hmm. Uh, the women to go and share the message of his resurrection. So, obviously, those are uh, those are important. A- those are actions with doctrinal import, yeah, right? And absolutely. and that's and, and piet- pietistic import. 
Um, but what you would have among many transformationalists is to say, oh, because he did that, we can we can then uh, sort of baptize third wave feminism almost uh at, at jesus is breaking yeah. down gender gender yeah, at and, least it moves in that direction <laughs> people they're sort of groping after that yeah. and making that leap right from, well, look what he did here and boom this is our explanation for for why third wave feminism is so great right that's a pretty big leap to go from jesus dignifies women to jesus baptizes third wave feminism yeah uh, whether or not he does baptize it or endorse it uh, I guess that argument can be had. I, I don't think he does personally, uh, but I wouldn't see an example like that as being proof proof, proof positive that that he does. Well, and and that's where you would have somebody in the transformationalist camp who would really benefit from stronger doctrine, stronger yeah. um, just a sense for uh, the teaching of the historic church in this regard, for example, yeah. and so. Um, yeah, I mean, each camp uh, would have errors when that side of the triangle gets too long, and at yeah. and and when it gets long at the expense of of the other two or of of one of the other ones. So, um, in the Christian Reformed Church, uh, we encur- I would encourage any person, whether you're CRC or not, no matter what kind of church you go to, but especially in the CRC, to pay attention to um, listening for. Uh, are those three emphases present in a congregation? Um, maybe not everyone is going to be equally present in every one of my sermons. I'll, I'll totally admit that based on my text. If I'm <laughs> preaching the Ten Commandments, yeah. um, it's going to be very pietistic. It's going to be a, a call to holy living and so forth. Um, but hopefully I'm going to root that in who is God. And so rooting the yeah. uh, the Fifth Commandment to who God is and right. uh, and how that will transform culture and society yeah. when we honor our father and mother as it as it says we will so that you may live long yeah. in the land the lord your god has given you so um so hopefully there's a balance often here um and none of these three become kind of a dirty word in a congregation yeah i think with that i could i could just add that as as you've said all that it got me thinking christianity is almost you can sum, almost summarize it in these three ways. Christianity is not just mm. a set of propositional statements uh, a, a, about certain truths. It, it's it is that, but it's more than that. Christianity is also a way of life. It's a piety, and it's also a way of living in this world and understanding our our calling to this world as Christians. And so. When somebody asks what is Christianity, it might be tempting to just say, "Well, mm. let me let me whip out my Belgic confession yeah. for Apostles you." Apostles' Creed, there yeah, you go. the Apostles' yep. Creed, uh, and that would be a good place to start. Mm-hmm. I I would agree with that, uh, but they would say, "Okay, great." Yeah, uh, I believe that. Yeah, I believe yep. it. Okay, sure. cool, great. Uh, <laughs> does that make me a Christian? Well, you know. That's a difficult question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not necessarily just because you assent to something. Uh, you must give your whole life to this. And so that's where the piety comes in as well. And so, yeah, and this is where, and and I think false teaching and false Christianity uh, can happen when we overemphasize one of these or where we err. We can err as Christians in our doctrine. We can also err in our piety and in our approach to the world. We can totally run from the world and try to set up shop with just Christians and I would say that's the sort of Anabaptist, or at least the caricature of Anabaptism. 
which as a reformed person, I have my strong misgivings about. Uh, and so I would say that that's false teaching. Mm. Uh, we're called to be, as Jesus says, in the world, mm-hmm. uh, but to not be, as Scripture says elsewhere, conformed to the world. Uh, we're not to become worldly in our passions and our desires and so on. And so this balance is is really crucial. And so this... Where, let's go back, I think, Mark, to wrap mm. this all up with last week's episode. I think we could go back to looking at those different major traditions and denominations mm-hmm. and maybe not try to map them so much in each of these. Maybe that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I, as I look back to, we have sort of the alphabet soup here from last week's show notes uh, where we have the PCUSA, yeah. the PCA, the OPC, these are all different streams of the Presbyterian tradition. Uh, do you think it would be helpful to explain where they sort of fall on these, on this sort of triad that we've been talking about? Yeah, maybe I can give some red flag terms. How about that? In terms of... Enlighten um, me. Yeah, so, so here's... Um, if you hear the term big tent, hmm. what they're saying is we're going to minimize doctrine... So that we can have more unity. That's that's a, a really big phrase right and now. So it probably is a, a clue that they are more Pietist or transformationalist. Yeah, and and intentionally at the expense of doctrine. Yeah. So um, there are going to be some congregations, some pastors like myself, I'm sure, who naturally are inclined in in a certain direction, maybe one or the yeah. other. Um. I hope that's never intentional for me, but mm-hmm. um, where you really would have some major red flags is where there is an intentional dismissal mm-hmm. of one of these three. And so um, yeah. that term big tent is is one that should be a, a very big <laughs> immediate red flag for somebody, and it's going to be used in um, generally the more progressive denominations. I, mm-hmm. I know that I've heard it used in the RCA context, and I'm sure yeah. it's used pretty regularly in the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church in the USA, um, and so they. Why would they say this? Uh, the term means um, the big tent. Everyone's welcome in the tent. Hmm. Um, come as you are. It doesn't matter what you believe. You can be a part of what we're doing here, and we're just going to love on you hmm. and show and and value you and um, encourage you to make a difference in the world that's positive. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you'll be accepted here, no matter what. And again, there, there's a lot of truth to calling people. Come as you are into the church. Um, we we love you no matter who you are. Like, totally true. Should be for every congregation. Should be for every yeah. pastor to, to feel that way. I, lo- I love you no matter who you are, what you've done. Yeah. I want to care for you. However, they're, they're using those terms in a way that, that basically says, and you'll never have to change or you'll never have to believe something. There will be basically mm-hmm. zero call to repenting of your sin, turning to Jesus, um, as John says so many times in the Gospel of John, believe. Um, you know, there's be- there's life for the one who believes in Jesus' name. Hmm. Um, the tent becomes so big that there's never that call to conversion. And so I would say um, those churches are going going to die because um, a big factor, a big part of Jesus' own ministry and the Word of God is almost being intentionally ignored for the sake of, say, transformation or, or a kind of piety. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think we we do see this historically. It bears itself out 
over, over the past oh, century or so of churches that have united and just sort of decided, you know, we're going to put our doctrinal mm-hmm. disputes and differences aside. Mm-hmm. We, we can come together. That generally doesn't go very well for, for denominations. There, there may be some stories uh, of that being the contrary, happening to the contrary, where a, a union of two different denominations or bodies actually helps. Uh, but for the most part, I would say it's a net negative. Uh, yeah. And an example of this, examples of this abound, but one would be even in our in our own Reformed tradition, there's a denomination known today as the United Church of Christ, uh, which is a sad story of yeah, some Reformed churches, some Congregational churches, some Lutheran churches that all had sort of been hollowed out by uh, mainline liberal theology and didn't really hold to much doctrine anyways, and so it was seen to be uh, fitting to all just join together, come together under one big tent, and over the course of the 20th century into our own day, that denomination has become very, very radically liberal, and there's they have had a huge decline in attendance and in membership. It's it's basically a shell of what it once was. And so that is an interesting, interesting story uh, of that big tent sort of uh, becoming a downfall. Uh, yeah, and maybe on the other side, to, to give the other extreme their attention too, you would have a, a, such a suspicion of the world that the transformationalist side would be uh, very minimal. Hmm. Um, if people hear the term two-kingdom theology, um, or it's even termed radical two-kingdom theology, that that's yeah. the idea that um, really the only thing good almost that happens in the world is in the church and among yeah. the people of God. And there's the city of God and the city of man, city of man mm-hmm. destined for destruction, city of God um, going to be purified for um, you know forever in the new creation. Yeah. Um, and so... Why transform the world? Why go out there? We, we, we need to hunker down and be safe. We need to hold to our pure doctrine yeah, and our, our holy living. Um, yeah. and, and there's such little cultural engagement that, that it becomes a dismissal of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 13 where um, the, the doctrinalist becomes the resounding gong and the clanging cymbal to the world because mm-hmm. he has no love in his heart yeah, for absolutely. the people around um, you know, there's, it's a frozen chosen kind yeah. of theology. Yeah. And, and I'm so, saved. I'm good with that. And right. God will do what he does with the rest of everyone. And I don't need to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> and, and where you hear the world always referred to as such a dangerous, scary, bad thing, yeah, exactly. um, in a church, um, generally you need to, to, uh, to be cautious of that. Yeah. That could be a red flag. Yeah. Um, but, um, are there places where Jesus calls us out of the world? Yes, there are those places. So you want to be yeah. discerning in this matter. Um, Absolutely. At times I'll use the term worldly in my preaching. That's a biblical and, word. Yeah, and, and, and I mean that to say uh, that the natural sinful way of thinking about something, the worldly way of thinking yeah. of something, the wrong way. Um, but if, if that becomes always kind of an just absolutely us versus them antagonistic to the non-believer um using doctrine almost as a weapon against the the unbeliever yeah. or even our holy living as a weapon against other people 
then um, again, that, that becomes a big problem. Yeah. And so yeah. maybe we have not a- answered every question that you guys have had, or we've not cycled back around to different things, but we hope that this has given you a really good lay of the land. And maybe there's a future listener out there who will come around to this episode and really feel like, oh, finally, I understand a little bit more of this reformed faith that people are talking about and some of the nuances and the the different types of of reformed people that are out there mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah our hope here is is quite simple we want you to be uh, more understanding of the church so that you can better participate in it and you can yeah have a vocabulary as mark said to understand what's going on around you mm-hmm. and so we thank you once again for listening to this episode we would ask as always that you would like share comment subscribe whatever you have to do to uh, keep it going and to mm-hmm. keep passing it along so that we can be a blessing to anyone else so thank you guys for listening grace and peace until next time All right, bye